Tonight we look at Lord's Day 22 of the Heidelberg Catechism, page 871, the back of your hymnals. The Lord holds out much in His Word that is comforting to us, and certainly the comfort of that heavenly Jerusalem, that coming Jerusalem that John saw in the Revelation there in the end of Revelation, that which is place of God's dwelling, of God's glory, as we saw it in the beginning in the creation of a garden in paradise, that which God is remaking and redeeming, as it were, uh, in this time, part of our confession as Christians. Looking also at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tonight, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 26, page 961 in your Bibles there in front of you. There is real comfort in God's plan for eternity. And eternity is what is set before us in the Scriptures. Lord's Day 22, I want us to look at and respond, uh, read those responsively tonight. Question and answers 57 and 58. Then we'll turn our attention to God's Word from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So then... Lord's Day 22, page 881, the back of, page 881, in the back of the hymnal. Question 57 asks, how does the resurrection of the body comfort you? And we answer together, not only will my soul be taken immediately after this life to Christ its head, but also my very flesh, raised by the power of Christ, will be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. Question 58, how does the article concerning life everlasting comfort you? We respond, even as I already now experience in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, so after this life I will have perfect blessedness such as no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has ever imagined. A blessedness in which to praise God eternally. Paul's been speaking to the Corinthians in his letter, 1 Corinthians, about the importance of the Lord Jesus' bodily resurrection, that he has come to redeem both body and soul. He says that if Christ has not been raised, then you yourselves will not be raised. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins, he says in verse 17 stating that if Christ is not raised, it would be uh, uncertain to us whether or not his sacrifice was accepted. But indeed, his sacrifice has been accepted for sin, and because of that, we have confidence that there is coming glory, that there is restoration of uh, body and soul, reunion of body and soul, as well as an eternal blessedness beyond all understanding. He writes, Then under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, therefore this being the Word of God, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ, Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. 
for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever for our guidance, for our direction, and for God's glory. Your people of God, as I prepared this sermon, I asked myself the question, is is the, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting a comfort to people when you talk to them today? I don't know how you have experienced this, but as we look out on our culture, as we look out on our world, there are a number of things that are under attack, and one of them is the body, our physicality. And furthermore, another thing that is denied or rejected or seen as unimportant is our eternality. We come to these matters which have been for centuries part of our Christian confession, and what we have to acknowledge, what we have to admit is that our culture no longer finds them relevant or finds comfort in them. So we need to remember and uphold this truth as the world wants to suppress it. C.S. Lewis put it in, 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 in a way, in one of his uh, books, uh, one of his characters was being lulled to sleep by by, uh, uh, as he put it, uh, magic that was uh, causing this character to fall asleep and, the, and, and, and telling this character all that you remember of that past world that's only a dream, it's only a dream. And the character puts his foot in the fire and is awakened and he said, no, I, I, I'm, I'm awakened by the truth and I will not believe the lie. And Lewis is trying to tell us, and Scripture tries to tell us, that we need to continually go back to the Word that we might be awakened to the truth as the culture falls asleep to it. So tonight I want to begin by looking at our, remembering our original glory and the comfort that we have in connection with our Creator. We live in a world where many have forgotten humanity's story uh, or have never known it. Most are, or many are unfamiliar with the, the Bible We need to review the basics to know how to talk to our neighbor and to appreciate the comfort that is found in uh, in these articles of the Christian faith and these truths of the Word of God. There's an assault on the body today. I don't think I have to, to convince you of that as you look around, as you hear about what's being discussed. There's a rejection of an afterlife. How has this happened? Well, the simple answer is sin, but how particularly in these two areas do we see this manifested? The rejection of the biblical account of creation has been, I think, largely a, a large success, we could say. Secularists, that is those who reject God, have grabbed hold of the media and educational institutions and removed the memory of and or the proclamation of the creation account. Where it's allowed as, a, as, as something of a, a, of a subject of interest, it's, it's merely looked at as myth or legend. Evolution is the working narrative in our schools and universities today. We are told our origin can be explained by that formula, time plus space plus chance equals everything. It's not a reasonable explanation of what we see, but it has been accepted and ingested by many. cannot stand under scrutiny because chance has no power. It is nothing. There's no power to create. Chance is a word that we use for mathematical possibilities. Science cannot explain how we got here. The scientists can observe the creation and realize that there is design and that there is designer behind it. 
The one who states that chance created the world is redefining that word. Again, a word that we use for mathematical possibility, not as that which can create. I believe it was R.C. Sproul that said, can chance have created the world? And he said, not a chance. And so that's what we need to remember. That's what we need to, to keep, be awakened to and aware of when we hear this over and over again. Well, we're just here as a result of random chance, of, of happenstance, of some big bang. When we look at the world, what does the Bible tell us we see? The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies pour forth His handiwork, Psalm 19. We can see God in His creation. When God made man, he declared that it was not good for him to be alone, so he made a helper suitable for him. He made a woman out of man. The two were to become one. Together they were to have children to fill the earth, to rule over the earth under God's appointment in keeping with his parameters, directing all of creation to see design and purpose and flourishing. And knowing this design and being obedient to it and productive in it, the purpose of creation is realized. Creation exists for his glory, is what the scriptures tell us very clearly. We know contentment and joy and comfort when we live in light of God's design and his purpose in in submission to him. When we're in connection with him, when we have that relationship. Well, then we see, secondly, the falling from glory. Sin entered in, and the longer that man lived in sin... The greater his efforts to subvert the truth, to excuse his rebellion. Rebellion was celebrated more and more. Obedience was rejected. Man turned from the comfort that comes from being in connection with and having a knowledge of the Creator to now choosing to look at the world in his own way and to use the world for his own glory. The body which is to be a temple of the Holy Spirit in which we worship God is an undeniable testimony to God's design and purpose as we look at the body. Our bodies are a glorious testimony of His amazing creation, though they have come under a curse. We acknowledge that. That explains the faults that we have, the the distortion that we see. We see flaws. We see things we don't like about our bodies. We sometimes despise our bodies then just as quickly we sometimes glorify our bodies. We worship our bodies. Trying to make them to something better, something more in keeping with what we think they should be. We need to look at the Bible to rightly understand how we are to live in our bodies. We don't worship them, but neither do we trash them. We live for God in them. As man discovers more and more, as he discovered more and more, he learned more and more about the world, he, he should come to a conclusion that this creation is a gift from a wonderful creator, only created by an intelligent designer, we might say. But sin remains, and this discovery so often leads to pride in man using his discovery to feed his rebellion. It seems the more Unbelievers understand about the body physiologically, biologically, and seal off their discovery from God's design and decree and boundaries for the body. The more they see it as something to reshape, the more they refuse the design in humanity. 
because they can surgically alter the body, because that biotechnology, we might call it, has come into play. Because we can do that, they say the body ought to be fixed, quote-unquote, to fit whatever the person inhabiting that body wants. And in so doing, they reject God's design, rejecting created gender, rejecting that their bodies are even a part of who they are. People say today their bodies are not who they are. They don't want to be defined by that body that they have. They even want to reject their created identity. I was reading this week in study for this sermon, a scientist who said that we're Really, as he looks at, at humans, we're, it's just a category. It's just something that we use to categorize us taxonomically and in taxonomy. We're, we're, just, we're, just, we're just beings. There's nothing, though, that's universally uh, related to humanity, nothing that characterizes humanity that we can say this is uh, human identity. Instead, he has said that we only become truly a person when we rise above our physiology, when we rise above our biology, when we're not limited by our bodies, and we become what we feel that we are or what we want to be, what we wish we were. You see in that reflection, don't you, that yearning in the human heart, knowing there's something not quite right. And yet there is also in humanity that fallenness which says, but we won't look to God to find out how that can be restored or redeemed or led in a way that is worship to the Creator. No, instead they look to themselves. The body is seen as something negative which reminds them of their identity, created male and female, something to be delivered from. It's rather ironic, isn't it, that when they say, well, I'm not, my, I'm not my body, it doesn't matter, and yet they want to surgically alter their body, which they don't care about? It just, it's rather interesting that though it doesn't matter, it does matter. And you see in that, then, more than just a, a, a confusion, but a rebellion, that I want to get rid of anything that speaks of my createdness that I can call myself the Creator. Well, that's why I thought of that question that I opened with this evening. Do they find comfort in these articles of the Christian confession? Do they find comfort in Scripture's testimony that we believe in the resurrection of the body and of life everlasting? There are those who would certainly argue they have no comfort from their bodies, nor do they want to even acknowledge that their bodies are part of who they are. They certainly don't want to live forever in the body. But what we need to recognize is that this way of thinking, this new way of thinking, this this idea that I can become what I want to be by changing my physicality, has not led to greater comfort. It's another God. It's another, it's another path. It's, it's looking to science as that which would be my Savior. Or, or some, some psychologist who would say that your feelings overrule your biology and your biology has nothing to say to you. Well, 
This thinking has not brought comfort, but led to depression and confusion. And we are those who put our foot in the fire and are awakened to the truth and say, no, we need to, we need to, to explain and to, and to define our identity, our createdness as God has given it to us, that others might be awakened as well. To tell others that God has made us purposefully and given us bodies in which to live out that purpose for His glory. When we live in our bodies according to our God-given design, we find a joy that no surgery can bring. God teaches so much about our physicality, about how we should, what, what, what we should wear, our appearance, and, and, and what attitude we should have as we, as we live out our lives before Him, before the face of God and before the world. He also explains what is dishonoring what we ought not to do to the body. Our identity is found, again, in this letter of Paul to the Corinthians when he says this, our identity is this, we are not our own. We were bought with a price. We're to glorify God with our bodies, 1 Corinthians 6. In order to do that, in order to find that comfort and that, and that, and that fulfillment, we need to know how God has made us and how He calls us to live in our bodies. God made us male and female. He made us body and soul, declaring that His creation was very good. And He delights in His creation. He delights in our physicality. He will not destroy it, but renew it. And we are not whole without our bodies. When we die, we're separated from our body. But we await our reunion with that body. That is why the writers of the Catechism, in summarizing biblical teaching, say in answer 57, not only will my soul be taken immediately after this life to Christ its head, but also my very flesh, raised by the power of Christ, will be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. And that is a good thing. And God will hold us together, renewing us, Body and soul. Paul says it there in, in verses 21 and 22 of our passage this evening. As by man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. That is, those who belong to Him. Verse 23 gives that context. As I said, when we die, we go to be with the Lord. Absent from the body is present with the Lord if we are in Christ. Yet we await the reunion, the receiving of our glorified bodies. We await our Savior's return. We will receive that new body, which is as unto His glorified body, Philippians 3.21, free from defect and pain and suffering, being completed in redemption, that we await that adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, as we read it tonight earlier in Romans 8.23. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, the same chapter that we are in, verses 42 to 44, what is put in the ground is perishable, but the new body will be imperishable. Listen to what he says, verse 42, so it is with the resurrection of the dead, what is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. 
Understand what those words mean there. Not, not that it won't be physical. There is a physical body, but it will be animated perfectly by the Spirit in perfect fellowship with the Lord, desiring Him alone and wanting to live for Him alone. God's plan for us is to give us renewed bodies. Jesus came in the flesh to redeem our body and soul that we might give true worship in the temple of our bodies. That's how Paul talks about it. Our bodies are temple of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, in which we worship God. That's why purity is so important. That is why God gives design about how we are to, to procreate, how we are to live before Him. And that is to be a bond that is for life for the instruction of that next generation that that generation would then come and proclaim the glories of God and then the generation after that and so on. For it is in our bodies that God is worshipped. Now there are certainly things that we wish were different about our outer appearance. Even as Christians, we wish we could be rid of pain. We wish we could be rid of a certain appearance. We think about the external so much. We want to be more muscular, more slim, to have more hair, to have less hair, to have different smile, different ears, maybe more endurance, maybe more coordination. And we fixate then on the body as this, as this which is, is going to bring us more glory, which is going to bring us more acceptance. And, and it's, it's not wrong to, to, to want our bodies to be displayed beauteously before the world if it is in a means by which that we are glorifying God. And therefore God, it says, I look upon the heart. I want the inner obedience to me to be seen outwardly in, how you, you're in your appearance, in the attitude with which you live your lives, in your bodies, with all purity, with all godliness. Physical training is of some value, but godliness has value both for this life and the life to come. Living that out in our, in our bodies. We show an appropriate care then for our body, which is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and, a soul, and our soul, which is that which would grab hold of God's teaching and live in light of communion with Him. God won't take our bodies away, but He will make them immortal. Further on in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 53, Paul says this, this perishable body must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. He will finish His work of glorification that we might worship Him wholly, body and soul. Talk to those saints who are not able to get to church bodily and they say there's something that I miss when I'm not with the people bodily. I, I love it that there's a technology that we can watch the service and we can participate from a distance, but to not be there. God has created it that way. He's created us to be worshiping Him in body and soul, that we would be present. Worshiping bodily. As we're being renewed by God, we face many challenges. We heard that Romans 8 tonight, how creation groans, how we suffer. God is preparing us for glory through suffering, even as Jesus suffered. 
We're not there yet, but we're called to press on to ever-increasing holiness, to yearn for that bodily resurrection. That is our hope. That is our confidence that God will give us our bodies, but that He will give us bodies which are glorified, in which our focus won't be on how do others see us and our appearance, but rather those bodies in which we will worship God as He has created us to worship Him. Well, that says something, too, about this physical world. It means that we don't simply wait for that, uh, for that day in the sweet by and by, as some of the hymns put it. We, we, we talk about Jerusalem, the gold, and we talk about uh, 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 the, that coming day. But we care about this world also. This world matters. We work for justice. We exercise compassion. We are not simply waiting for God to take us from here and to renew all things. We live now pointing people to the ethic of the coming kingdom. When we see suffering, we seek to alleviate it. When, we, when people suffer in the body, we don't ignore it. The Lord wants us to speak of the coming physical renewal that people might know that God cares not just for our souls, but also our bodies. This is a comfort that we believe in the resurrection of the body. It will be made new as, again, answer 57 summarizes biblical teaching. And there is suffering now, but God also gives the beginnings of eternal joy and joy in this life as we see him building a community of faith whose joy is in the Lord. Listen to answer 58. Even as I, how does the article concerning life everlasting comfort you? The answer, even as I already now experience in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, so after this life I will have perfect blessedness such as no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has ever imagined. A blessedness in which to praise God eternally. When we hear stories of prisoners of war, we see, we can't imagine how hard that must be to be imprisoned. But when we hear those stories of prisoners of war who are put in solitary confinement, cut off from others, suffering alone, that even, that even raises it to a higher degree, a higher level, the suffering that they endure. For we were meant to be in community, to be seen, to be together physically, not just as technology brings us together from faraway places, but to actually be together in body, that as part of our true existence. Such a blessing to be a part of the communion of the saints where we can encourage each other in the promises of God with the Holy Spirit as our comforter who writes those promises on our hearts even as we see our weaknesses and see our frailties and together yearn for that coming day when we will receive the redemption that God has promised. What we read of the coming eternal glory is that it is greater than anything we have ever experienced. The present sufferings, Paul writes in Romans 8, which we read earlier, are nothing when compared to the glory that will be revealed to or in us. And that's helpful to us. That is a comfort to us because the sufferings are great. When you talk to someone who's maybe sat in, in who's been lying in a hospital bed or, 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 or in the home shut in for a very long period of time, it can, it can quickly lead to a depressing existence. 
discouragement quickly moves to depression. One minister recounted a discussion, and I've had similar experiences, but I was reading this this week. One minister recounted a discussion he had with a parishioner who'd been in the hospital a long time, but who had maintained a positive attitude while, while being there. And he asked, how do you, he, he asked the person, how do you do it? And the response from this person was, I know that I'm going to get better. I get a perspective on what's happening now by keeping my eyes on the future. And I think it's good. I think that we, we look forward while not forgetting our responsibilities in the present, but we look forward so that we might have our eyes upon that which God has promised to us so that we can press on even while we encourage in the present. When suffering, when sufferings increase, it's helpful for us to look ahead and remember what is promised. If all we think about are getting rewards now, we might get a bit disappointed, right? We don't always get those rewards right now. What parent always receives uh, thanks for their parenting? What employee always gets thanked for a job well done? In business, perhaps, we're not thanked for our extra effort. Maybe all we get for our effort is more projects to do. Maybe all we can imagine is that to work with this hope and with this joy leads to further responsibility. But as God gives us more, He also promises to work through us more as we are faithful with what He has given. Remember that your work is not for earthly reward, but that God might be glorified in you. That's faithful living. And faithful living is the fruit of saving faith. God is worthy of the sacrifice of our praise, the sacrifice of our effort pointing others to Him. He's appointed a future day when we will receive that crown of righteousness. So we press on to that day when we see our Savior, the service we rendered will lead to greater joy. That hymn says it, doesn't it? It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials shall seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of His dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. That reminder that we do that in the body. There is... No blessedness such as the blessedness, as that blessedness which God has for us. No blessedness that we've experienced that is not going to be exceeded by that blessing to come, which no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has imagined. Eternal joy seeing the one who created us, finding perfect satisfaction in our living for him, made whole, sin removed, offering worship in the temple of our bodies to God's glory. What a comfort that is to us now as we live looking to that day. There's a story of a woman who, when she was making preparation for her funeral, said, I want to be buried with a fork in my hand in the casket. Perhaps you've heard the story. And the funeral director said, why in the world do you want to have that fork in your hand? And she said, well, I always save my fork alongside of my plate for the dessert that's coming. And it's a, it's a testimony that I'm looking forward to that which is 
better to come. And I think it's appropriate as we think about that, that as we live in this life, we don't deny the difficulties and the hardships, and maybe things don't all play out the way we want them, but we are looking forward for what is yet to come, for it is better, better by far. We ask God to remind us of the fact that because of Christ's life, death, and physical resurrection, the best is yet to come. That is our reminder. That's the comfort that we receive. And that's the comfort that we need to bring to those around us as we remember God's purpose and design and his call to us. May he give us the grace to do that. Amen. Let's pray. Your Father in heaven, we thank you for the testimony of your word, for the power of your spirit writing this word upon our hearts, for life can be filled with turmoil and difficulty. Indeed, there is pain and suffering. There is grief. Did you remind us in your word that these things pale in comparison to the glory that will be ours in Christ Jesus, the glory that will be revealed to us and in us? Help us to press on in the truth, not losing sight of the fact that we are created purposefully to live in a particular way in our bodies and that we might know greatest comfort and joy as we live in light of that purpose in, in keeping with that design. Lord, send us forth into this new week with that passion for purity, that zeal to do good, that desire to bear one another's burdens, We know that presence is so very important and we long for that day when your son will be seen again in the body, when life's trials will seem so small when we set our eyes upon Christ. Lord, keep us in your hand. Comfort us by this truth from your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Another hymn that speaks of that coming beauty and glory, number 473, 473, by the sea of crystal, saints in glory stand, myriads in number, drawn from every land, robed in white apparel, washed in Jesus' blood, they now reign in heaven with the Lamb of God. We're going to stand to sing those three stanzas, number 473.
Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, as we think upon that wonderful truth of the resurrection of the body, the glorified body, we are so thankful for the work of Elam Christian schools, those who give of their time to help those with special needs, both physical and mental. And Lord, when we think of that restoration, we pray that you would give those workers also awareness of that, that they are investing in the body now, showing love and kindness, setting before us your work of how you care for us in our need. May we then be led more and more to bear each other's burdens, to care for each other, to see where those needs are that, that, uh, that we can meet. Even as we give for this cause, we pray that our prayers would be offered with these offerings throughout our daily walking through this life. Hear us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let us stand to confess our faith together using the words of the Apostles' Creed. The version that we use is page 851 in the hymnals. We respond to that question, Christian, what is it that you believe? We say together, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there He shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Our people of God, hear these parting words and receive this parting blessing to Him who is able to keep you from falling, to present you before His glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority. 
through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Live in your bodies to his glory. Live in your thoughts to his praise. People of God, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope. Encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word to his glory. Amen. Thank you.